everybody, to another episode of the Mike Janella Show. I'm Mike, obviously. This is podcast episode my 49th, and hopefully it won't be my last. Joining me this week, he's actually in town, uh, probably at some luxurious hotel, I would imagine, for the Mets-Philly series, but he's my old Daily Orange cohort, but currently the Phillies beat writer for the Inquirer, the Daily News, and Philly.com. It is Matt Gelb. Matt, what's happening, my man? Is 49 a lucky number or something? Seven times seven? Isn't that? Isn't there luck in that or something? There is now. Now that you've mentioned it, uh, I wasn't thinking that, but I'll take it. Sure. <laughs> now, I'm lucky to have you on the show this week, Matt. How you doing, man? I'm good. It's good to talk to you. I, I like running into old DO friends across the country in my travels, and, and uh, they're everywhere. We are, yeah. Everyone always talks about the Syracuse kind of broadcasting mafia, the new house people that are doing play-by-play and studio hosting. But the DO, the Daily Orange, the newspaper folks, that web is just as strong, I would say, nationwide. So we, we are everywhere. Yeah, and everyone just hates the broadcasters more. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm kind of that, piece, that fence sitter, the peacemaker that sort of straddles <laughs> them both. I try and keep it uh, very uh, apolitical. Um, we're going to get to everything about you, Matt. We're going to talk about your, your life on the beat, what it's like covering the Phillies, how you got to where you are, a whole bunch of stuff. And you in particular have had a very interesting career because you had a dream baseball gig for a lot of people and left it for a while, and now you're back. So I want to get into all that. But first, I start every show off with every guest the same way, on a good foot. So I like to ask everybody, what's the best thing that's happened to you in the last week, Matt Gelb? Uh, the best thing that's happened to me in the last week? Hmm. Well, I just, uh, I just bought a house. Oh, congrats. That's awesome. That didn't happen in the last week. But Oh, well, then you're cheating. Uh, what, did, what did happen in the last week was that you know, you do the home inspection, you, you, you go through all this, and then you give the seller some recommendations about what you would like done uh, with the house. Uh, you try to, it's a negotiation, really. We, we, we made about 10 recommendations, and two days later, the seller says, I'll do all 10. And that, that, was, that, was, that was great news. That's hey. what to me in the last week. That's awesome. 10 for 10, batting 1,000 on home ownership so far. Um, speaking from <laughs> so experience, far. it's only downhill from here. So enjoy the high notes. <laughs> Um, all right, Matt. Uh, obviously, uh, I've talked to beat writers on this show before. We've had some of our uh, mutual friends and colleagues, uh, NBA beat writers, NFL beat writers. I even had uh, AJ Casavell, who you know, who covers the Padres, but for MLB.com. And I think it'll be very interesting talking to you because he's more of, a, of an establishment writer, which he admits, and you still work for the Fourth Estate kind of independent media. So it's a fascinating life and a fascinating job. Uh, before we started rolling, you told me, though, and I love talking to beat writers about what their life is like, and you said yesterday was a perfect uh, beat writer day in the life. So tell me what you meant by that, and just let's jump right into it. What was your, your typical day like yesterday? Well, it always seems, you know, as a beat writer, that the longest games or the worst days happen when you travel. And it's not like my travel was exceptionally bad yesterday. All I did was hop on a train to New York, but it does make for a longer day. And, you know, it's, it's, it was your classic beat day because there was a lot of news. It was an extra inning game, a long game. It was just a long day. And so uh, on the train in the morning, you know, I kind of knew today there, you know, I kind of knew Tuesday there would be some news about Clay Buckholtz uh, probably having surgery or some kind of injury. So <clears throat> you write that story while on the train. And then you get off the train. I was able to check in my hotel, which is great. 
no, no problems there. Get launched. But then in the middle of launch, of course, you know, the Clay Buckholtz news is announced. And so now I'm filing a story from my phone while I'm eating lunch. Then I walk back and get on a train, get on the seven train to go to Queens. I uh, get to City Field at about uh, about 2.30, which is maybe a little too early for a 7 o'clock game. But typically the clubhouse will open about 3.30. So I got there a little early. Do a few things. Uh, do a few interviews before the game. Uh, write a few stories and then immediately file a story before the game, which five minutes later has to change because it was a story about a player possibly going on the BL. And then five minutes after I sent the story and the player went on the BL and they made a roster move that I didn't expect uh, to replace him. So I had to rewrite some of that story, refile it. And then the game, you know, took forever. It was a four hour game. It was a game that I wrote uh, probably four or five different versions of the story that I originally, that I ended up filing uh, at about uh, whenever, like it's about 11 o'clock, uh, went downstairs, did some interviews, came back upstairs, rewrote, uh, hopped the seven back to Manhattan, got into bed a little after one o'clock, and there you go. <laughs> so it was a classic oh, day where, you know, it's one of those days where the baseball beat is, can be unforgiving. In that you write a lot of things that never see the light of day, <laughs> and that, that's a... Uh, it's frustrating, but uh, you know what? It just it just uh, it teaches you uh, how to how to think on your feet and 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 how to adapt. Yeah, you have to be adjustable. That's for sure. I mean, like me uh, traveling on a train, I like nothing more than just closing my eyes or watching the countryside roll by and just chilling. You've got to be you know pounding out a story that may or may not see the light of day. Uh, so it's it's very different mindset. It, I, I forget who's. It was a national media member or one of our old talks at the DO, but someone has proposed putting a, a book out or a website that just consists solely of gamers that had to be changed or feature stories that had to be altered, like stories, the sports stories that never got printed, quote unquote, published, I guess, um, if people would be interested in seeing all that stuff. Because I would imagine like your gamer from last night, uh, version 2.0, that people might be interested in seeing what you were thinking was going to happen before it actually ended up transpiring. I'm not sure if that's a good idea or not, but it's, it's an interesting thought. No, it is a good idea. I don't know about my stuff. They want to read, but like, Peter Gam- <laughs> I would love to read Peter Gams' story that he wrote, you know, in like the eighth inning of game six of the 1987 world series. Like that, that- 1986 World Series. That would, that would be interesting. Like, I would want to know. Yeah, that'd be incredible. Just think about the last year. Yeah, think about the last year, even. I mean, the story that was written uh, during the rain delay of Cubs, Indians in Game 7, or when the Patriots were down by 25 at the Super Bowl, you knew half the guys in that press box had maybe 75% of their game story done already. I would would sign up for that. Yeah, I once actually did that a couple years ago, more than a couple, six years ago. The Phillies had like a crazy six-run comeback in the ninth inning, and I, you know, sometimes if I get a, a sense that something's going to happen, and I'm not good at this, but I'll open up a new file and I'll start, I'll try to start writing it. If I sense something happen or change, and I did start a new file that night, and then the next morning I, I put, I put the original game story online, the game story that had the Phillies losing. Uh, it's actually kind of a joke because. I sent the desk the wrong story <laughs> and my cell phone wasn't working. And so they had to, it was crazy. They had to call somebody else who worked for another media organization. And be like, 
Oh, as a joke, then the next morning I put the wrong story up and told people, hey, this is this is alternative history. Like, and people loved it. Like, they really liked it. Uh, and uh, I, I think I think that's not a bad idea for a book. Isn't that isn't that crazy? How something that was ostensibly a mistake, people then love it if you brand it the right way, and it's, it was a creative way to go about it. So nice job uh, pivoting there, and you you created <laughs> you created fake news, Gelb. You created alternative what facts. Happened. Yeah, exactly. Before yeah. it was even cool. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Let's go back to your let's go back to your origin story and how you got to where you are. Because you've been, I mean, you've been there now for what eight years, something like that, nine years. I started at the Inquirer August uh, 2009 as a uh, full-time temporary employee. Ah, <laughs> yeah. The joys of post-college work. Doesn't that sound incredible, kids? <laughs> yeah. So how'd you so get there? Because, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a great landing spot basically coming out of college. And there are so many people that have to go to – I'm just making papers up here – but like the Biloxi Times or the Missoula – you know, standard or whatever, you land right in Philly, basically right out of school. How'd that happen? It was really lucky. I mean, I, I think, you know, it was, it was certainly uh, right place, right time kind of thing. I mean, I, I interned for the Inquirer uh, the summer between my junior and senior year at Syracuse. Uh, so they knew me. Uh, but you know, I'd taken after college, I didn't have a job. I took an internship after I graduated at the Newark Star Ledger and did that for a summer, did that for 10 weeks. And when it was up, they couldn't keep me on. And that was it. I mean, I went home. I didn't have a job. And I started someone from the Inquirer reached out to me and said, you want to, we could use a freelancer uh, to do some high school sports stuff. We, you know, we pay you per story. And it was like, yeah, I mean, I'm living in the suburbs at my parents' house, and I'm not really uh, doing anything. So yeah, and that sort of slowly turned into something more because the paper uh, went into bankruptcy, actually. <laughs> and uh, at the time, uh, they there were rules about who they could hire or what they could do while in bankruptcy, and they sort of pushed it through right before they went into bankruptcy to make me this nebulous full-time temporary employee i wasn't getting benefits i was just it was somehow it was a paper move uh for them to get me on the books i guess in case uh, they couldn't later on because of bankruptcy and then during bankruptcy there are two baseball writers left um the one went who's one of my mentors uh jim salisbury he went to comcast sportsnet in philadelphia and the other andy martino he left actually for new york to cover the mets new york daily news so all of a sudden, their papers in bankruptcy. They're down to baseball writers. The season is close to starting, and they don't have anyone to cover it. They moved one of their guys from the Eagles, and here I am doing like girls' soccer in the suburbs and high school basketball on the city. And uh, they took a chance on me. They told me, "Hey, go to spring training for a couple weeks, uh, cover the team." <laughs> and I was, uh, I was, I was still. Well, I guess I turned 23 uh, while I was in Florida, and soon after my 23rd birthday, this is how different newspapers used to be, My the sports editor actually flew down to Florida, uh, took me to dinner, and offered me the job full-time, and uh, it was it was luck. I mean, there was no other way to explain it, you know? I, I, they, they had known me from the internship. I guess that was the first, you know, the first lucky thing. The fact that they went into bankruptcy, weren't allowed to make outside hires, 
and that their two baseball writers left uh, when they did, you know, it's hard to explain it. And sometimes I feel a little guilty about it uh, because I don't think I really paid my dues. Like, like you said, like people will have to go to different places and uh, to work their way up. But uh, I tried to make the most of it. And, uh, you know, almost eight years later, I didn't anticipate still being at the Inquirer, but you know, here I am. It's good. And I, and I love it. Yeah, your your win probability index went from non-existent to getting the job in no time. Uh, after all those things had to break your way, but that's how it works sometimes, man. You can't feel guilty about it. I mean, so many people and people who have been on this show, uh, it is right place, right time, which is frustrating. You know, people ask me whether they're in college or high school, like how can I how can I get this job? How can I get to where that person is? And there's sometimes there's no dedicated route. Sometimes everyone no. kind of gets there differently, and I think your proof positive of that from just telling us what you what you went through so was it you grew up what was it like Doylestown right is that where you grew up or what was the name of the town yeah Chalfont and I went to high school in Doylestown CB West uh, a former uh, Pennsylvania football powerhouse uh, which is about uh, it's about 45 minutes north of the city uh, closer in mileage but just because all the crap right right so were you in the papers uh, distribution area were you was this yeah. a, like a byline that you seeing your byline in the paper someday was that kind of a dream gig when you were a kid yeah it was I mean I grew up reading Jason Stark and right. Jim Salisbury and Bill Lyon and the Philadelphia Inquirer and, and uh, we I always thought it was neat that my my parents had the you know we had the local paper the intelligencer we had that delivered but we also had the Inquirer delivered every day and you know I as a kid, I mean, I, I, you know, my dad was a huge baseball fan, so he raised me on baseball. But, you know, I learned so much from reading, you know, I mean, Jason Stark, who, you know, is now uh, a colleague. I mean, I, I see him in a press box all the time. I mean, it, it's still, uh, it's still, it's still amazing. I mean, I still, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I mean, so many people, not to compare you to LeBron James, but to be able to grow up where you grew up and you know marquee at your hometown, the top level of what you want to do, it not many people get that opportunity. So I'm, I'm happy for you. you've been able to do it for this long and enjoy the success that you have. So you, so you have all this going for you, this dream gig, everything you've basically ever wanted, sort of fell into your lap, and then you up and leave it, and you put baseball behind, and you switch over to to the Metro desk at the paper. Uh, this has been a few years now, and obviously you're back, but talk me through that change, Gail. What made you do that, and what made you make that decision to just put baseball on the back burner for a little bit? So the uh, end of the 2014 season was the end of my fifth year on the beat, so I started covering the team before the 2010 season. And you know, the 2014 season was just uh, a truly miserable one for me. <clears throat> it, was, uh, it was a bad clubhouse. Was a bad team. Uh, they were just not. I just. I felt stale. Uh, you know, and that's an easy feeling to have on the baseball beat because you do write so much and because it can be so monotonous. And I had had those feelings before, but it had never really felt like it did uh, at the end of the 2014 season. And it just kind of had me wondering, you know, what else is there? Uh, is there something else? And, you know, I had started dating my girlfriend uh, about a about a year before that, and that that changes things too. I mean, I'd had girlfriends previous years on the beat. Uh, this one was a little more serious, and the lifestyle is not easy. Uh, I mean, that was part of it too. Uh, you know, I love my job, but working 
when all your friends aren't working on nights and weekends, as you well know, uh, can be pretty difficult. And I just felt burned out. Uh, I felt stale and burned out. And I, I knew an editor at the paper on the Metro side uh, who actually was instrumental in getting me hired as an intern years ago. Uh, and I kind of reached out to him and he said, well, you know, what if you came over here? We, we, we have, we could give you, you know, a features and enterprise job, you know, a GA job on the city desk and you just do whatever you want. I was like, really? I said, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's think about it. And that's what happened. Although it wasn't really what I thought it was going to be. I mean, the job <laughs> it never was, is. It never is. No, it never is. But I think I was pretty grateful. The GA job turned out to be a lot more breaking news uh, than I anticipated. It was a lot more cops. Uh, it was a lot more crime courts, uh, which stuff that I had never done really in my career. And I think uh, the perspective is that, look, I talk to athletes, I, you know, I, sometimes I say on my worst days, like I chase around millionaires and interview and talk about their bad days with them while they're in their underwear. That's, that's sort of, you know, when it's at its worst, but you know, when I am knocking on the door of a, of a, of a family in North Philly, you know, after one of their you know, relatives or their sons are, are killed and trying to ask them about it, that, that, kind of, that gives you pretty good perspective uh, for when you think you're having a bad day on the baseball beat. Uh, and it also gives you perspective on what's important, you know, what, uh, you know, what stories are most interesting and, and sort of, allows you, I think, to humanize some of the players, too, because you've seen uh, more real life and, and what, what matters and what doesn't. And, uh, you know, I think the adage is that the grass uh, isn't always greener. And I think I needed to prove to myself that uh, I think I would have regretted not seeing what else there was. Uh, and, you know, after a year of being on the city desk, the newsroom underwent a major restructuring. We merged the Inquirer and Daily News uh, newsroom staffs together into one and they laid some people off and they came to me and said, what if you came back to sports? And I think they knew that I wasn't uh, really that happy. I mean, I think I went from going, I went from going to my office as a ballpark every night to being in the newsroom just about every day on like a 10 to six shift. And I'll say this about baseball, not once. And I don't know if you did this, Mike, either. Not once where I look up at the clock and be like, oh, you know, I'm almost done. My shift is almost over. I did that a lot when I was on the city desk, and it's a, it was a weird feeling. Uh, I've never done that at a at a baseball game, uh, mainly because there is no clock. But uh, <laughs> it, it was it, it gave me perspective, I think. And 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 you know, maybe when something is in front of you and you do it every day for five years, you you do lose an appreci- appreciation for it. And I think going away for a year and coming back. Uh, was was maybe the best thing uh, that that's ever happened to me on this beat. I, I feel refreshed. Uh, I feel like I'm looking uh, for different angles to stories. Uh, I feel like my bad days uh, are not bad days because I know that it there, it could be worse, and that in the grand scheme of things, you know, what? I'm getting paid to write about baseball, and and there's there's a lot worse things that I could be doing. Yeah, that day you talked about that you had yesterday, which seemed interminable. I mean, in the end, what was the worst thing that happened on that day? You had to refile a story from your iPhone about a DL transaction uh, yeah. compared to the, some of the stuff I'm sure you saw, like you said, on the city beat. It, yeah, perspective, I think, is the, is the perfect word for it. And not, 
Not many guys, I think, our generation have that. You talk to some of the old-time writers, and when they got to newspapers, they were jack-of-all-trades. They had to do non-sports stuff, and I think that gave them a lot of that perspective. Whereas now, you try and get into sports so young in the media, that's all you know. And so I think to have that look at the other side like you did is super valuable. I think that really puts you sort of ahead of the pack of a lot of your colleagues. Would you agree? I hope so. I mean, you know, in the, I've always looked at the baseball beat as this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm writing about humans. I mean, like, there's no, there's nothing different from the baseball beat to, than, than the cop. I mean, sure, there, there are, you know, the setting is different. But in the end, I'm writing about a another man who is either succeeding or failing over some. It is, it is, is just like any other beat. Uh, I, you know, that that to me is, is is what the most important thing is. In the end, you're covering you're covering humans who make mistakes and who who succeed uh, against uh, against sometimes unlikely odds. And, and I think uh, that has helped me look for for different stories since I've come back. It's uh, it's an oddly weird thing to have as a as a differentiator, but you've got it. So yeah, might as well uh, take advantage of it mentally. Um, I mentioned earlier, uh, Gelb, I had AJ Casavell on, and he covers the Padres for MLB.com, and uh, he mentioned I asked him how he was comparing his job and his place in the media landscape to folks uh, like you, because he kind of works for the institution for MLB, and he said it. He describes he thinks of his job as I cover everything that happens inside the lines, and then guys like uh, Dennis Lynn, who covers it for the San Diego UT, or like you, who does it for the Phillies, they do a lot. They do that, but they also do stuff that happens outside the lines and in the front office and uh, around the team and that kind of thing. How do you see? Is that a, a valid comparison? How do you see your role of your gig, your purpose? And kind of where you fit in the baseball landscape at large as a, a local paper beat writer. You know, I, I think I think there is a difference because I've always viewed my job, especially in recent years, as putting context to everything. Okay. Now Ken Rosenthal, who's the best baseball writer there is right now, can can break news about a Phillies transaction in 140 characters on Twitter and He's probably not going to write anything more about it. He's probably just going to write, you know, Phillies trade trade for Clay Buckholtz, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, my job is, if I can't break that news, which typically I don't, uh, is to provide context. To that. I want to explain to the Phillies fan, the average Phillies fan, why does this matter? Why did they do this? How did they do this? What does it mean going forward? Those kind of things, adding perspective, adding context that really they can't get from another source or one source for that uh i i do agree with aj's assessment i, I think the mlb.com writers you know the way that uh, mlbam which runs a, the mlb.com websites is kind of gone is they, they're just and and newspapers are guilty of this too they're really just looking for for i hate this word it's, i call it the c word it's not c word thing i'm going to use this content i hate that word i hate the word content is probably my least favorite word right now i can't stand it because i think it devalues everything that i do and everything that that beat writers do content is just is such a uh it just it, it makes me want to scream so content and clicks the two dreaded keywords <laughs> of media today right right <laughs> and so mlb.com is looking for is looking and look, Philly.com is too. I mean, they're they're you know we we are trying to get clicks, we are trying to fill, but 
I think I like to view myself as someone who's offering more context, uh, who is looking for a little bit of a deeper story, who is doing stories right about office, about ownership, about uh, sports business matters uh, that that relate to the Phillies. Uh, I think there's more of that, and, and really, it's kind of crazy to think about this, but I, it did cross my mind the other day is that the, the Inquirer and Daily News used to have a beat writer each, two beat writers but each paper would have one person on the road uh, for every game until we merged staffs. And now, the way it is actually, so I, I write for both newspapers and Philly.com, the website. Uh, but I am now, or my partner, Matt Breen, who covers the team with me, we are the only independent, you know, not uh, team-related outlet that, that travels to every Phillies road game. There, there are no more now. I mean, MLB.com staffs every road game. And so does Comcast Sportsnet Philly, which actually the Phillies now own a 25% stake in the network. And other newspapers will travel to some road games nearby, like New York or D.C., but won't do the central, Manel Central games, Manel West games. We are the only outlet now that staffs every game with a beat writer uh, that is not uh, somehow tangentially related or, or uh, somehow staked with the Phillies. And I view that as a really important uh, responsibility. I mean, we are the last independent team, uh, outlet that is covering the team uh, on a day-to-day basis. And uh, it scares me because uh, the more and more team-controlled messages that are out there, the more and more the line is blurred. And, and I think we've already started to see uh, people – don't necessarily know where their news is coming from, uh, what they're consuming. Uh, and, and I think it just makes my job more important right now. Yeah. For objective coverage, Matt Gelb, you're our only hope. Um, no, it's true. <laughs> well, you... I don't want to make it sound like that, but, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a little scary. Out there. No, it is. And you see more and more teams. I mean, the Mets with SNY, the Yankees with yes network, the Red Sox with Ness and everybody wants to control and rightfully so. That's that's the smart move. Have their own arm and outlet. But it definitely is not the 70s and the 80s anymore where you have so many uh, local independent people to keep these teams and, and people sort of accountable. And that's definitely something that lies on your shoulders and yours alone now, at least in, in Philadelphia. So it's it's interesting to hear that you use words like that. Uh, you know, scares me, responsibility, uh, that kind of stuff that I don't think a lot of people associate with sports writing. But when you think about it, they fit. They fit. Yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, I'm a distraction. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, a distraction for, for anyone in Philadelphia or, or anyone who's a Phillies fan who, you know, wants to read about the team, is passionate about the team, maybe wants to get away from the news cycle elsewhere, uh, you know. And I view that as, as an important responsibility. I mean, people take their fandom seriously. They, they take their uh, hobbies seriously. And it just so happens that their hobby is my job. And I, I, I view it as an important thing to be able to give, uh, give them a voice and to be able to, to inform them and, and, and inform them in a fair way, you know, what's happening with their team. It's funny. That leads me into one of my next questions that I had here in my notes. Uh, I mean, Philly is... It's a tough market, notoriously so for players, and you really got to bust your ass there. And I feel like once you pass a certain tipping point of blue collar dumb, 
you're going to be exalted in that city forever. You're Allen Iversons, you're Chase Utley's, those kind of guys. But people don't always think the media, too. I mean, your Twitter mentions if you write a bad story or say something weird. I saw one tweet the other day where you were talking about, uh, and I quote you here, the NFLization of baseball chatter in Philadelphia and how it made you sad. And Philly's the kind of town that's going to come after you for that stuff. So what's what's it like being someone that, even though you, you'll never get the scrutiny of the players, right? But I'm sure being a beat writer in Philly where people are maybe demanding is the right word of you having a certain standard to be that distraction, to be the person that they get to enjoy. Is that tough? Would you rather maybe write for the Seattle paper or something like go out to the West coast or somewhere that's not as stringent or do you love being right there in the fire? No, I love it. I mean, to dish it out, you got to be able to take it. And what I love about it is that, you know, especially when they were good in 2010 and 2011, when I, I covered those teams, it was such a great feeling to know that, like, you know what, the next day, and, and this is, again, showing how much has changed in five, six years, people were picking up the paper and were pretty much hanging on every word that was written about the Phillies uh, and going online and, and couldn't read enough about how the Phillies are doing. And actually, it's pretty crazy now because people still do, maybe not to, to the extent that they did then, but there's still such a desire and there's such a demand for, for Phillies coverage. Uh, in Philadelphia, even though the Eagles are number one in the city and always will, it's a football city no matter what anyone says, but I love it. I mean, I love that that there is so much passion and interest uh, in in what I write, and I think I actually missed that a little bit when I was on the city desk. I mean, I wrote some maybe something that I really, really liked, thought it was an important story that people should read, and I didn't get the kind of response or feedback uh, that, I, that I typically encountered when I was on the Phillies beat, and I I think I missed that. Maybe I, I mean I guess we all need affirmation. It seems a little selfish, uh, but uh, there's nothing it, wrong with being loved and wanting to be loved, Matt. <laughs> but it's not even being loved either. I like it when people will respond negatively to something I write. I always say that if, if I get if I get 20 emails on a story, which sometimes happens, almost always, happens, what a great story, loved it, or agree with this, or what do you think about this? And half of them are, you're an idiot. So, um, what are you? Uh, you you dropped out there a little. Gelb, you, you dropped out there for a sec. You dropped out, but I want to make sure we have this on tape. You're talking about all the emails that you get after uh, a story, good or bad. So just run that back for me, because I want to make sure we get that stuff. Because it sounds like you must be getting a lot of good content to use your favorite word in your inbox after some of your work. Yeah, I mean, if I if I get 20 emails after a story, which sometimes happens. You know, and 10 of them are good, 10 of them not good, 10 of them are saying, you know, oh, like this story a lot, or yeah, I totally agree, or, or yeah, what do you think about this? And then 10 of them are, you're an idiot, what are you thinking, you know, you know, all caps, yelling at me, cursing at me. I think that means that I'm doing my job right. <laughs> if, if I do a story, you know, I get everyone agreeing with me or everyone disagreeing with me, that means I probably did something wrong. Uh, but if it's split down the middle, that means, all right, you know, there's, I definitely have, you know, struck a middle ground here, and that's typically where most of the stories lie. And uh, I love the passion. I really do. So what do you do to try and make yourself stand out? Because you mentioned how some, you don't want everyone agreeing with you or disagreeing with you, and I think that's noble. That's the right way to go. So how do you... What makes you you to your job? Or do you even try to stand out? I mean, I know some sports writers like to inject a lot of personality into their pieces. Some save that just for Twitter. 
Uh, what do you do that tries to make you different and get that response and elicit all of that reaction, either positive or negative, from your audience? I think it's two things. I mean, and I think it goes back to even before social media, before we started using the word branding. I mean, I try to separate myself with good information and good storytelling. I mean, I think it comes down to that. I mean, I want to be a source of information, reliable information that people consistently come to. And then I also want to be someone who tells a story that maybe they haven't heard before or tells a story that they didn't realize or, or didn't notice uh, or maybe a story that they didn't think they wanted to hear but end up wanting to hear. So I still think that's what separates uh, good beat writers from the rest. It's your information and your ability to tell a story. And has the format and has the medium changed uh, in recent years? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, Twitter, I do it. I really hate it, uh, actually. Uh, <laughs> You've got like 30,000 followers, man. You have to, you, you owe this to the people to love it. Yeah, and, and, and I hate that like I'm somewhat addicted to it because actually it, it really, you know, the reach is not as great as, as we originally thought. And, and actually gave us analytic analytics at our at our news at our place uh, the ability to sort of track where traffic is coming from on stories and, and they should have never done this because i spent the entire winter every day like studying data because i was bored and i didn't have anything else to do and <laughs> really so few of clicks on our website which i hate talking about this even come from social media and and really i do think it's an echo chamber and yeah like i i i wish i sometimes didn't say what I say on there and often now I just use it to send links out and to make snarky comments that I shouldn't make but uh, it, it, to me it, it does seem more and more like a waste of time and I know that would rankle some uh, even some beat writers that I really respect but uh, I still care more about uh, the information and the writing and I still think that, that that will help you rise to the top. I hope so. Maybe I have this uh, romantic view still of uh, journalism and beat writing. Yeah, I mean, and you see other people in your position, uh, not naming names, that go the opposite way. Put as little effort as possible into the storytelling, but really max out on the social media. And many people think that's the way to go. I appreciate your nobility, though, and trying to keep the good flame of journalism alive. Um, I love, that should be the Twitter's new tagline, by the way. Something you pull, I'm going to pull out from what you just said. Uh, snarky comments I probably shouldn't have made. Boom. <laughs> Trademark it. That is Twitter. Um, last question for you, Matt, before we get to our last couple of segments here, which are, which are quick and fun. Uh, the Phillies themselves, what's it like uh, as an organization to cover uh, you know, the access, the press box food? Uh, I mean, everything. You've been there now for years, so you kind of have a handle of how the lay of the land works. Uh, different organizations treat the local beat writers differently. What's it like for you down there in Philly? You know, it's it's a uh, it's a good place to be. I mean, the access and the access is just like it is for any other baseball team. Access on the baseball beat is the best access there is, period, of any sport, and that and that is certainly a huge uh, selling point for wanting to be a baseball beat writer. But you know what? The Phillies have undergone a lot of changes in the last year or two, especially uh, with ownership and uh, management. There's a new president, new general manager, a lot of new people in the front office. Uh, but they've always been known as an organization that that has treated its employees with respect. And actually, what I one of the things I miss the most, you know, was going to the ballpark every day. Was just that 
the, my interactions with like the security guards or with uh, somebody who works in the press dining room or somebody who works in a press box or, uh, you know, just the random employees who became, I became friendly with just seeing them every day. And, and uh, it does sort of feel like a family down there, even though I'm not a part of it. I, I, I don't work for the Phillies, uh, but when you spend a lot of time with the same people uh, for that long, I mean, you, you, you kind of, you're getting through it. You're getting through a long season together with everyone and, and you're sort of all there. Uh, it's a distraction for, for the people who come to the ballpark as fans, but the people who work there, uh, it's sort of a different, different feel. Uh, and and I really like that. And uh, the Phillies treat their local beers fine, I think. I, mean, I don't think uh, there's there's uh, you know there, there's no there's no bad blood. There's no favoritism uh, either way. I think it. I think they're right down the middle. I mean, they 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 treat the people who cover the team on a daily basis with respect, uh, which I appreciate because there are a lot of people who kind of parachute in or who uh, will be around only certain times. So the people who cover the the team. On a day-to-day basis, they certainly treat uh, with respect, and and that's that's all you can really ask for. You're like the boyfriend <laughs> that the daughter brings in to meet the family, and they let you stick around because they like you. It sounds like <laughs> every time you go down to Citizens Bank Park. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, Matt, we're gonna we end every show with the fun five, which are five quick fun questions for you and you alone. But before we get there, I like to give all my guests the opportunity to turn the tables and ask me a question if they'd like. So if you have something you want to ask me for whatever reason, uh, here's your chance. Fire away. What do you miss most about being in baseball? Uh, just the sport, man. Um, definitely not the, the schedule or the, the quote-unquote <laughs> grind uh, as another word that people love to overuse in the, in the industry. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, you've, like we've alluded to, we've had this conversation, you get to come to a ballpark like a, a cathedral and that's your office every day and you get to watch grown men play a game for a few hours and then chat with them and baseball like you said compared to any other sport the access is incredible you get to actually know these guys on a personal level sometimes that's good sometimes that's bad but <laughs> um like you, you it's just it's the sport i think baseball and hockey are the two sports that are the most love story like the most romantic with their fans and people who cover it uh, for good reason, and yeah, just miss that kind of romance. Just seeing a six-four-three double play get turned on a Tuesday night, and that's that's your desk, you know. Uh, so I, I do miss I do miss that, but yeah, certainly not the schedule. That's one hundred percent something I'm okay not being in the middle of right now. Well put, I like that. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm a man of words, Matt. The Daily Orange <laughs> taught me everything I know. Um, all right, time now for the fun five. These are, like I said, five quick fun questions designed for you and you alone. Matt Gelb, I asked this, so I guess these questions aren't just for you, because a couple of these I've asked previous people on the show, uh, but I bring this up with every beat writer, and in baseball in particular, I want to know, I got to know, who's got the best press box food in the majors? Uh, well, actually, you know what, I mean, visiting writers would say that it's actually Philadelphia. No. Oh. Uh, I, I think they're good, it's probably the best, I mean, I might be biased a lot of times, but uh, I'm going to try to pick something. You know, I'll go with Miami, which actually has, ever since they opened the new ballpark, vastly improved. I actually really like Marlins Park. It's got a very Miami vibe and feel, and I think that's why I like it. All right. 
Question number two, I ask this. So again, I'm just repeating questions. So this is a terrible <laughs> open to the segment. But uh, I asked this of our mutual friend, Zach Berman, who covers the Eagles uh, there in your town. I asked him for the best cheesesteak in Philly, and he gave me some place I'd never heard of before. I'm sure you must have an opinion. If I were to find the best cheesesteak in Philadelphia, where would I go? Okay, so I'm going to give you a place also that no one has ever heard about. It's called Shanks. It's actually on the Delaware River, uh, on, on like a pier, basically, an abandoned pier. Uh, it's on Columbus Boulevard, and across the street is Christian Street. And it's just this like shack on, on a pier. And it might not be the best cheesesteak in Philadelphia, but it's the one that I like the most because it's just the most random, unexpected uh, delight. And it's very good. But Steve's is also really good. Because uh, it always comes down to, uh, right, Pat or Gino, Pat or Gino's. And if, you, if you're a hipster from out of town, you go with, like, Tony Luke's or something. But you guys, you know the real spots that are way off the grid. So I appreciate getting that knowledge, uh, turning this into a, a Thrillist podcast, uh, just all the hot food spots uh, in <laughs> Philadelphia. Um, sticking with the Philly theme, are you, are you a boxing guy at all, Gelb? We're going to get to a Rocky question, but do, do you know fights at all? Uh, not really, not really. All right, but I'm sure. Or, or do you know the movies at all? I guess that's the question I should have asked. Have you seen the oh, Rocky yeah, movies? I know the movies? Yeah, I'm not all really right. a boxing. Guy. All right, good. So, as a sports writer, even if you don't know boxing at all, but I gave you the chance to cover any of the fights that happen in the Rocky universe. Which fight would you have loved to have a credential for? Oh, hmm. Uh, I would probably pick Drago, uh, just because of the whole you know, U.S.-Russia dynamic there. Uh, And I would have, like, loved to get the, you know, know how uh, writers would occasionally uh, go watch a a fighter train before the fight and do a feature story leading up to the fight. It would have been great to go to Siberia to (laughs) watch uh, Ivan Drago train and uh, write that feature leading up to it and sort of the political dynamic and the climate around it. I I think think that's the one I would pick. I can hear you already just sinking your teeth into that whole assignment. I'm sorry that it's never going to happen. It's hypothetical, but that's a good answer. Uh, Question number four. uh, The Phillies, like a few other franchises, uh, the Padres come to mind with Tony Gwynn, uh, the Mets maybe with Tom Seaver. There's no argument that Mike Schmidt's the greatest Philly of all time. But I want to ask you, Gelb, if you were starting a team with the second best Philly of all time, who would that be? Ooh, that's good. Uh, you can be a position player or pitcher. Anybody you want. I'm giving you fantasy GM duties, and you can pick anybody after Mike Schmidt from the Phillies. Who would you take? I mean, it would probably the I would say the obvious answer would be Steve Carlton. He is probably the best pitcher in franchise history. Uh, I'm sure a bunch of Phillies fans would say Chase Utley as their number two pick, but I'll go with Carlton. He's your anchor for your rotation. He's left-handed. Force. Uh, he's probably the best pitcher in franchise history. Yeah, I know there are a lot of Chase Utley, yeah, the the maniacs out there that may be coming <laughs> after you for that. But hey, a good third baseman and a good ace, you can't go wrong with that as building blocks. Uh, last question in the fun five for you, Gil. Both teams are kind of in a transitionary period right now, so what's going to happen first? Will we see another Phillies World Series or another Syracuse Men's National Championship in basketball? Oh my God, we... I. I talked for about two hours about Syracuse basketball. <laughs> my frustration with uh, how the school has handled uh, the Bayheim affair. Yep. Uh, I, oof. 
I'll say I'll say I'll say Syracuse because it's it's easier to rebuild in basketball if you get one or two stud recruits who are one and dones. It takes a little longer in, ba- in baseball, but Syracuse, I think, uh, I think they're in a little bit of trouble right now. But, uh, this is that would be a conversation for another time. Yeah, that'll be our, our after dark podcast just for Syracuse.com listeners. Uh, but we'll record that some other day. Um, Matt Gell, thanks so much, man. Uh, let the people know where they can find you online on social media, where they can find your work. Uh, this is your chance to plug whatever the hell you want to plug. So go to philly.com slash phillies. You find a lot of my stuff there. Uh, I am on Twitter, even though I hate it, at Matt Gell. <laughs> and uh, that's it. Awesome, dude. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to try and get to one of these Mets-Phillies games while you're in town, so hopefully we can see each other and link up. But keep the uh, keep the content coming, keep the clicks high, and continue <laughs> best of luck the rest of the season. Thanks, man. R.I.P. Chucks. Oh, yeah. We're recording this the day after. Yeah, Chuck's Cafe at Syracuse. It is no longer, and I'll have to go have a have a honey brown pitcher at some point this afternoon in memoriam. You won't be able to get it for $3. That is for damn sure. All right, Matt Gelb of Philly.com. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Stay on the line. We'll chat after I'm done uh, rolling here. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right. And you guys make sure to check out MikeJanella.com for this and all previous episodes. I'll have links to all of Matt's stuff as well so you can catch him and all the places that you can. And you'll also have all the info on this great outro music that you have right now. But again, thanks to Matt Gelb and thanks to you for listening. We'll try and do better next time. See ya.